Thank you for the Gideon presentation. Um, what I'm always reminded of when I see these presentations is that God said the power is in his word, not in, our, not in our delivery, right? He doesn't need us. He just needs his word, right? And so it's, it's always very powerful to see that all it takes is somebody reading his word, not your eloquence or my eloquence or anybody else's. So, Luke chapter 2, we'll uh, begin in verse number 8 in just a moment. Thank everyone for coming out today. Uh, my phone all week long kept getting texts. We're, we're sick. You know, we have COVID, we're sick, whatever else. That, that's actually the people that could text because some of you had no power for, for quite a while as well. It was, it was kind of quite a week for everybody. If you remember, Brian was here last week, Brian Overholzer and Elizabeth, and they were supposed to fly out Monday morning. Well, you know how that went with, with the weather. And so uh, the airline was, was happy to reschedule them for next week. And they're like, uh, no, we can't wait quite that long. They were able to get out yesterday finally, but they were here in Virginia all week. I talked to him Friday. I said, would you please hurry up and go so it quit snowing here. Take it back to Alaska with you. So, um, Luke chapter number 2, verse number 8 is where we'll begin in just a moment. I want to talk to you about gospel glory. In the, in the passage that we're about to read, we have the, the second mention of the word gospel in the book of Luke. It's, it's mentioned uh, one time in chapter number 1. The word translated gospel Uangelizo, uh, or however you want to say it, there's a different way to say it as well, Uangelion, so depends on what form you want to use, literally means, the, the word literally means good news, and uh, this is how it's translated in the passage that we're about to read. The gospel message is, the me- is a message of good news, but it's good news about a person. Uh, that person is Jesus, and so with the gospel, not only was there good news, but there there was joy, and uh, joy came to the recipient, and glory came to God, and so the good news, we all know, is that Jesus came to live among sinners. He demonstrated humility that led him to the cross. His, his birth was the most important event in the history of the universe. There's no other event more important than the fact that Jesus was born and Jesus died and rose again, right? There's literally nothing more important than that. That's the most important birth the world has ever seen. Somehow it had to be celebrated. It also had to be explained so that people would understand that the Son of God had become man to save sinners. And so what God did is he sent angels of all creatures to tell people good news. And that's, that's just amazing. Let's stand as we read our passage today beginning in verse number 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Depending on how you read it, some people, they read it, it makes it sound like they are all lying in a manger, right? I always think about that when I read that. Uh, verse number 17, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But notice, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as had been told them. Lord, we thank you for the gospel message. We thank you for the gospel that was proclaimed on that night of our Savior's birth. We thank you, Lord, that um, not only was it proclaimed by angels, but it was proclaimed by shepherds, and it was proclaimed by um, parents and all the people who saw and all the people whose lives were dramatically changed by the gospel of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that now here we are, 2,000 years later, that same gospel changes lives all around the world. And we thank you for that and praise you for it. And I pray that today, by meditating on what we, we uh, read just now, that we'll also be changed as well. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. I think, it's, I think one of the most significant things about this event is that the gospel first came to the lowly and humble. He came to shepherds. Um, shepherding occurs in the wintertime in Israel. And I, I probably should have stuck a picture up here. I was just thinking during the song service, I should have done that. But the first time I ever went to Israel, I went there around Memorial Day. So it was, it was May, June time frame. And I remember we're driving down to the, the Dead Sea. And you look on the hills, and the hills have this lattice, this crosshatch of paths all up and down the hills. And our guide said that's, that's where the, the sheep and the goats would walk and graze themselves. He said in the wintertime, these hills are green. And I look, and it's literally, there's, it's not even that, there's even grass. It's just dirt. There's no, no dry grass. Jan, I see you shaking your head. You live there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And it, it's, just, it's just barren, and you think to yourself, how on earth is there anything green there in the wintertime? Well, fast forward, the la all my, my most recent Israel trips have been in January and February, and guess what? He's absolutely right. Those hills are green, and it's green with vegetation. And so shepherding occurred in the wintertime. This is the only time of the year when there would have been grass or vegetation for the sheep and the goats to eat. And the shepherds would have stayed out all night with the sheep. Uh, shepherding was a lowly occupation. It was usually given to the youngest in, in the family. I have this wonderful picture, and I thought about sticking it up there, and I thought, no, I'm not going to do it. And it was in Jericho, or actually on the outskirts of Jericho, and there's a, the, we're surrounded by a flock of, of sheep and goats, and the shepherds were probably all under 11 years old. And that's, that's the occupation. The kids did a lot of the shepherding. Some try to say that shepherds were downtrodden and despised. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard a message where it says, you know, he went to the despised. Shepherds were not um, thought of in any kind of high class or anything like that. Well, there's no evidence for that in Scripture. If you think about it, both the Old and the New Testaments viewed shepherding favorably. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob were all shepherds, weren't they? 
Remember that um, Joseph told his dad, said, look, when you come down to meet Pharaoh, don't tell him you're a shepherd. Tell him you own cattle or something, you know. But no, he, he didn't do that. He said, I'm a shepherd. Moses, David, and Solomon all called themselves shepherds. And kings of great empires, I, I read a book. It's this thick. It's a whole book on shepherding, and it went through all the different world leaders in the ancient Near East who viewed themselves as as shepherds, Hammurabi and the pharaohs of, of Egypt all conceived themselves in sh- as, uh, as shepherds. And of course, uh, Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the shepherd par excellence, isn't he? There's no greater shepherd than Jesus Christ. And so shepherding was not, a dis- it was not for the low, um, despised, crooked type of people. It was for the lowly. But shepherding was a metaphor for somebody who really cared for people. So it's significant that the gospel was preached to shepherds. Shepherds are a picture of lowly and humble people who respond to the gospel message. They're the, young, the youngins in the family, took care of the sheep. Uh, and and um, so they, they were the ordinary working class sinners, if I can put it that way. And that would be most of us, wouldn't it? Ordinary working class sinners. In two chapters, Jesus is going to quote the prophet Isaiah, and this is what he proclaimed his purpose to be. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? The poor, right off the bat, he says it. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, of course, that's talking about spiritually poor, spiritually oppressed, uh, spiritually captive, and so on. But, uh, but it can, it's a dual-purpose metaphor there that Jesus is talking about. And so Jesus, the gospel message, came to normal, plain people right away. When the shepherds out in the fields that first Christmas night, what they saw absolutely terrified them look at verse number nine and the angel of the lord and an angel of the lord appeared to them and the glory of the lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear you know what the word appeared means the the word appeared literally means standing near standing beside and so the the narrative is is literally all of a sudden there's this angel standing right beside them We've had that happen to us with the normal human being, haven't we? We're walking along, and all of a sudden there's somebody right beside us, or we're standing there, and there's somebody right there, and it scares us, right? But could you imagine suddenly an angel of the Lord was standing near them, and notice what he brought with them. What did he bring with him? He brought the glory of the Lord. Whoever this angel was, his time was spent in the presence of the Lord, and so he glowed with that blazing, brighter-than-the-sun Shekinah glory of God. It, it had to be a terrifying thing. I was thinking about it this week, okay? What, what did that look like? What exactly was that? You, you think about the glory of the Lord. So often, the, the Lord only appears to certain individuals. For example, go all the way back into the Old Testament. Remember when uh, Elisha and his servant or Elijah and his servant were, were uh, surrounded by the whole Assyrian army. The servant walks out, what did he say? He, he was afraid. 
And what did the prophet look at him? What did the prophet do? The prophet prayed to the Lord and said, uh, Lord, open his eyes. And all of a sudden, what did he see around him? The multitude of the angels and heavenly hosts were greater than the whole Assyrian army that was around him. It's a spiritual dimension. And so we don't know here. And then fast forward to the New Testament. You read in in Acts chapter 9 about the, the conversion of Paul. It says that Paul was the one who saw the great light. It didn't seem to indicate that everybody else saw the great light. They heard a voice, but they didn't see a great light. And so it was revealed. And so these shepherds, it's possible that, that God opened their eyes so that they could see the blazing glory of God in this one angel. Because I guarantee you, if, if that light had been made known to everybody, it would have been spoken of through the whole countryside. You would have seen it in Jerusalem. The glory of God is so great, right? And so here's these shepherds, and they see this angel, and they see the glory of God. And this is such a frightening experience that the first thing the angel had to tell the shepherds was not to be afraid. Now, Luke is going to also talk about the transfiguration, and you're going to see in the transfiguration the same thing, aren't you? The glory of God came in a cloud, and the disciples were afraid. Remember? And so he tells them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Every single word of the angel's announcement was important. The first words, fear not, they offered reassurance. The appearance of an angel is always a terrifying experience. And the shepherds needed to know that they were safe. The angel had come to give them good news. There's that word gospel. Even Jelagon. Evangelizgo, whatever you want to say, the words of the ancient promise were starting to come true. The good news was being preached to the poor. The good news was that the process of salvation was beginning. The, 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 the event line that leads to our, the atoning blood of Jesus Christ being sacrificed started that night with the birth of the Savior. An angel was preaching to shepherds of all people. And so the gospel not only comes to the the lowly and humble, but the gospel brings joy. The good news brought great joy. Look at verse number 10. This good news of great joy is for whom? No, it's not all people. Read it again. All what people? The people. Now that's very important. I know you're looking at me like, okay, Why are you being so picky, Pastor? There's actually a reason for that. It's all the people for a reason. At first, it may seem that this promise refers to all people everywhere. After all, the good news is for all people, and it's a biblical truth. Jesus is the Savior of the world, the only Savior that there is, and this good news is for everyone. But listen carefully. Listen carefully. That is not the meaning of the phrase right here. It's important for us to understand the definite article distinguishes these people from others. So that asks a question, that causes us to ask a question, who did he have in mind then? Elsewhere in Luke, this phrase refers specifically to the people of Israel. 
And so the announcement came to the people of Israel first, right? The people he's talking about is the people of Israel. In those days, the people uh, was a common and general term for the Jews. Of course, the gospel is not just for the Jews. Later in the chapter, we find us for the Gentiles, but the angel gave the good news to the Jews first. And by the way, Paul made that very clear, didn't he? In Romans 1, 16, he said, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In, in, in verse number 11, the gospel is about a baby being born. He says, unto you is born this day. So the good news that's coming to, first of all, the Jewish people is that there is a baby being born. The gospel of the cross and the empty tomb is, is also the gospel of a birth. There, there, but here we're given good news, and it's the good news of a manger. A child is born, a son is given. The angel was making a birth announcement about a boy of flesh and blood. What I said last week, this is not an, an apparition. He, Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He's 100% God, and he's 100% man. He didn't appear to be man. He wasn't a man who happened to be divine. He is the God of the universe and a man in the flesh all at the same time. Ask me how that works, I don't know, right? And honestly, if you think about it, the, the, the very fact of the matter is, if you can explain God, then he's not God at all. He's, he's beyond our comprehension, things about God. Now, what is surprising is that this child was born to the shepherds. Did you notice that? Look at the phrase again. Unto you is born this day. He, the, the angel was talking to shepherds. Those words are like, the, the you know those tags that they put on Christmas presents, that say to and from, right? The angels were placing a tag on the manger that said to the shepherds, right? From God. That's, that's the message that they're getting. And so the, here the good news takes on a personal significance. The angel was doing something more than telling the shepherds what happened. The angel was also telling them why it mattered. Ordinarily, a baby is born into a family, isn't it? Unto the mother a child is born. Unto the father a child is born. They're the ones who receive the gift of a child's life. But in this case, however, the child was born to the shepherds, and the child was born for their salvation. But it was not for them alone. Jesus is born for everyone who receives him by faith. Isn't that great? And I'm talking to people who have received him by faith. So the gospel brings joy, but the gospel announces has an announcement and the announcement is that there's a savior that is born the savior of the world verse number 11 look at what it says for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord here we have three names for for jesus that have never been put together ever before uh the the a savior christ and lord all three of those names together this is the first time this appears he was the son of David, to which the angel alluded by mentioning the city of David, meaning Bethlehem. This is now the sixth time 
that Luke has mentioned David's name in the, in the first two chapters of, of, the, of his gospel. The child is born to the shepherds. He, he was uh, David's royal son. But not only was he David's royal son, he was also the Savior. This is, this is another special title in the book of Luke. Luke uses this term a lot. The, it uses the language of salvation more than any other gospel. Luke uses that language. A Savior, what is a Savior? A Savior is a deliverer, right? A Savior is, is someone who rescues someone from death and destruction. Uh, I've never, I don't think I've, I've never told this story publicly, but I, was, um, but I was actually called somebody's Savior this summer. Did you know that? So I was in a restaurant in downtown uh, Culpeper this summer, and a woman was choking and uh, there, was, there was somebody trying to do the um, Heimlich maneuver and was not, uh, being formerly uh, EMT, knew that they were not doing it properly at all, and that woman was not going to dislodge it. And I quietly walked up, and I, there were three men standing around this woman, and one, or two men standing around her, one trying to do the Heimlich maneuver, right? I wanted to call it the Hemlock maneuver for whatever reason. I knew that wasn't right. And they were all helpless. I, I just quietly said, I'm an EMT. Can I, can I help? <laughs> Literally, the little guy that was trying to do it, he almost dropped her. He moved away so fast. And um, one, one thrust, the, the food came out, dislodged it. Well, I, I, just, I just walked away and sat back down. Well, a little bit later, um, I walked back over to the table just to, you know, just see how she was doing. And she was talking to the, um, she was talking to the owner of the restaurant. And her back was to me. She said, who's that man that saved my life? This is what she said. And her, her husband and the owner just pointed, because I was walking at right that time, pointed at me. She literally, she jumped up and she hugged me and she said, you saved my life. I thought I was going to die. That's what a, a Savior does, right? Somebody who saves. Some of you have been um, of lifeguards and you save people's lives. Others of you are paramedics, you save people's lives. Others are police officers, you save people. That's what a Savior does. But Jesus Christ is a different kind of Savior. He is, not only can He save people physically, He saves people from the most awful fate anyone could ever imagine, and that's eternal death and hell. And He saved the world the deliverance that God brings may come in the form of physical deliverance, but it's spiritual. Jesus came to save us from sin, from Satan, and from the righteous wrath of God. And he delivered us from these deadly enemies. How? By dying on a cross for our sins and then rising again to everlasting life. That's the work that only one Savior has ever been able to do and will ever be able to do. Aren't you glad that Jesus is our Savior? But not only is He a Savior, He's the Christ. The Christ. This, this Eventually, this becomes part of the Savior's name. But really, Christ is a title. Did you know that? Christ is a title. And it's the Greek term for the Hebrew term for Messiah. Messiah. Which signifies the Savior that God has always promised to send. The, the word Messiah, the, the word Christ, literally means anointed one. Anointed one. Literally, when you call him Christ, 
You're calling him the anointed one. He's the anointed son of God. He's the anointed king of kings and lord of lords. He's the anointed priest for all who would come to him in saving faith. That's a title. It reminds us of kings and priests of the Old Testament who were anointed with oil as a sign of their office and their mission in life. And God has always promised that one day he would send a Savior to end all saviors. And this anointed one, this this Messiah, would come and save his people forever and ever and ever. Aren't you glad about that? Oh, I'm so glad. And the last title that the angel gave to Jesus was Lord. He's the Lord. This term of honor points to his deity and to a sovereign rule over our lives. Jesus is the Lord God. Luke already has used the term Lord more than a dozen times, and it's always with reference to the Lord God. But this is the first time that the words Christ and Lord have ever been brought together. This is an unprecedented combination. Jesus is the Lord Christ. This meant that he's the promised and anointed Savior, and it was none other than God himself. This is, this is showing the deity of Christ. And God himself is appearing in flesh in the form of a helpless baby. I don't know how much you think about these sorts of things. It's just astounding that the God of the universe, I said this last week, the creator of the universe would condescend to humanity. But it's not like he just zzz, into an a adult human. No. He allowed himself to be uh, in the womb of a human being and born like every other baby. The, the king of the universe. Now, let's, let's be honest here. Even if an angel appeared to you and gave you that message and all the Shekinah glory, would you still have a hard time believing it? I, there, there are things that happened to me, and I think to myself, did I really just witness what I heard somebody say? Or did I really just witness what I thought I witnessed? Can I give you one example? Uh, this, is, this is totally free. This just popped. My brother was uh, here for Christmas, and uh, we, were, we were talking about snow at one point. When I, was, I grew up in Illinois, and uh, the winter of 78 and, and 80, they were really bad winters. Y'all remember those winters, right? Some of you, some of you old, us old folks do, put it that way. So. But um, I, where we lived, it was just flat, and any, it, a fence post would make a drift. You know what I'm saying? It's just Midwest. And, and one time we had the storm and the drift about, uh, I don't know, like half a football field from our, from our house uh, was, was huge. It was massive. There was a, there was a building that created this, this drift. Well, normally, just like around here, the county took forever and a day to, to plow the roads because we lived so far out. Normally, we had this farmer. His name was Bill Brown. Bill Brown would plow. And he had this gigantic um, four-wheel drive John Deere, you know, with the big eight big wheels on it and a snow blade on it. And my brother and I were outside, and, and he was plowing. I saw him, and I ran over to that drift because I wanted to see this. And he stopped. I thought, hmm, I wonder if that drift is too big for him. And he backed up, 
and then he just floored it, and he went, he hit this drift, and, and the, here's the part that I was, I was, my memory was that the drift came to the middle of the window of his cab, it was that big of a snow drift, and he just, when he hit it, it was like an explosion of snow. Well, I was talking to my brother, and he said to me, he said, hey, do you remember that time when Bill Brown hit that big snow drift in the tractor? And I looked at him, I said, you know what? How high, well, I said, how high was that snow? And he said, it was up to the window of, of his tractor. And I said, okay. I said, because I thought that I was imagining things back then. So we've all experienced that, right? That's a very long story to make a point, okay? And the point is this. Sometimes, even giving the message to the shepherds, they would walk away and say, did we really just see that? Did we really just hear that? So what did the angel do? The angel said, there's a sign. Look at verse number 12. This will be the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. How would the shepherds know that they found the right baby? And how would the shepherds know that the story is true? All they had to do was find a baby wrapped in a, or laying in a feed trough. That has probably never happened in the history of the world. Laying in a feed trough. The, the shepherds would not find the child couched in royal splendor. They wouldn't find him in a crib somewhere. They might have expected him to be lying on the floor if they were poverty-stricken or something like this. But this was the humiliation, the incarnation. The Son of God humbled himself to save us, and he allowed himself to be placed in a feeding trough in a manger. And that's the sign. And the shepherds, of course, we know they made haste, and that's exactly what they found. The, 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 the um, words of the angels were absolutely true. Not only does the gospel bring joy, but the gospel brings glory to God as well. The gospel brings glory to God. Look at verse number 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is, he is pleased. It seems that the Lord dispatched a portion of the angelic host to go down and praise him. That's what it would seem like. I was thinking about this also this week. When you read scripture, almost every time you read about the throne of God, what is surrounding the throne? A multitude of angels praising God. And so Jesus is in the constant presence of a multitude of heavenly beings singing praise to him. And so it's no surprise that part of that multitude is now found on earth, right? God the Son has always enjoyed the adoration of angels. From eternity past, those sinless creatures have worshipped him with perpetual praise and will continue all the way to eternity future. Now this is what I wondered, and this is something you can think about if you would like. I wonder if the whole time that he was on earth, if that same multitude were unseen humanity and going with Jesus everywhere, praising and glorifying him. Isn't that what happens in heaven? Why wouldn't it happen? It's happened for all of eternity. Oh, well, uh, since the creation of angels, I should say, right? Since before the foundation, why wouldn't it have happened while he was walking uh, from Jericho to Nazareth or something like that? Why wouldn't it happen? The angels appeared to the, to the 
the shepherds, and they, they pronounced the benediction. The coming of Christ was not just for the glory of God, but it was also for the uh, good of humanity. So after giving glory to God in the highest, they proclaimed peace on earth. But this peace, it, it's different from the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, right? This, the, the, the Roman peace was enforced from the outside. The peace that Jesus delivered is an inward peace. It's a whole person peace. But this peace is not for everyone. This, this, this peace is only for people whom God is pleased to bless. The phrase is, the, those with whom he is pleased. It's a, it's a technical term, by the way. Most translations say, say this. Most translations use this, word, this phrase right here. Some say, those on whom his favor rests, and others say, to the people he favors. But, the, but the, it's significant, it says the same thing. On those with whom he is pleased. The emphasis, and this is important, the emphasis of the salvation message is on God and not on man. You see that? The emphasis is on God. It is those whom God chooses rather than those who choose God, of whom the angels speak. Jesus said the same thing later on in Luke. Luke 10, 21, he said, In the same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, that you have hidden. That's the Father doing the hiding, right? You have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding. And who's doing the revealing? God. And have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And so we have the same concept in Luke later on. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is all of the Lord. God hides, God reveals. When God reveals, people respond. Then we have the gospel is also proclaimed. The shepherds reacted by saying to one another, they basically said, hey, hurry up, we've got to go see this. Isn't that what it says? Verse 15, when the angels went away, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing to happen, which is the Lord uh, has made known to us. And they, they probably took off on a run. I would have. They, they headed for Bethlehem where they found everything just as the angel promised. Look at verse number 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. You know, one of the other things I was thinking about about these shepherds, most of the time shepherds are for the young people in the family. But what do we see in all our nativity scenes? These old guys with gray beards. They're probably young guys. They're, they're maybe teenagers, early 20s. So they would have run. They would have run to Bethlehem. Let's see what, what happened concerning this child. And you know what the shepherds did? The shepherds told everyone about the angels that they had heard on high. And what happened next is important. Because it shows how to respond to the gospel that the shepherds were given. Look at, look at what it says. Different people responded to the good news in different ways. Everyone agreed it was amazing. Verse number 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. You know, many people have the same response today. They, they think Christmas 
makes a great story, but they wonder if it's all true. They're just not sure. This baby that was born in Bethlehem, he, is he really the Savior and the Lord? Some people wonder, but they cannot keep wondering forever. Either the good news of great joy is true, in which case we should believe in Jesus Christ, or else the whole thing is a myth, in which case there's no one to save us from our sins. And that's the conclusion that everybody who hears the gospel must come to. Either it's absolutely true and I must respond, or this is just a myth and I'm just going to ignore this guy named Jesus. Look at Mary's response, though, verse number 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Her response went a little deeper, didn't it? Mary believed the shepherds, but she didn't fully understand what, what they were saying. The word treasure, uh, it, the, the, the word behind it, indicates that she was holding on to the words of the gospel. It's, it's, to, it's to pile up. She was piling up what she heard about Jesus. It's, it's to hold it. The word ponder shows that she had still some things to think about. This word refers to a person who's puzzled by what they heard, but they keep it in mind to, under, to, to understand. And so she heard the information. She didn't quite grasp or understand it, and so she kept pondering it so that she could understand. Oftentimes in Scripture, this, this happens with divine help. It's, it's, a, it's an extended period of sustained reflection. And so um, someone's trying to make sense, trying to plumb the depths of all that she's experienced. And so Mary had a faith that was seeking understanding. But it took Mary a long time to come to full grasp of the gospel, didn't it? She, she didn't always understand who Jesus was. She didn't always understand what was going on. As a matter of fact, uh, on several occasions, she actually opposed his calling. But she kept mulling things over, believing that Jesus was the Son of God, trying to understand what all this meant. And in the end, Mary came to a full and certain faith that Jesus was her Savior and Lord. We know this because after he ascended into heaven, Mary gathered with the early believers in Acts 1.14 to worship God. She was, she was among the believers. You know, it takes some people longer to, um, than others to come to a full understanding who Jesus is and what he has done and what it means to trust him. But the thing to do is to believe as much as we can and keep thinking about the gospel and asking God to be, help us be more certain about the gospel. Think about the reactions we have here. We have the shepherds. They're, they're simpler in their response. They have an immediate response to the gospel. And there's something to be said for simple faith. Now, when I say simple faith, this is not an insult at all. There are people that have simple faith. They hear the gospel, they believe it, and that's it. When God says something, they obey it, and they do it. They don't ask questions. That's simple faith. But Mary was somebody who uh, thought a little bit deeper. And so it took her a long time. And so I encounter people in my ministry that God said it, they believe it, they'll obey it, it doesn't matter. 
and I meet other people, and God said it, but they're saying, okay, but why did God say it? What's the reason behind it, and this and that, and the other? Those are people that make my brain hurt, right? But the, 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 those are good questions. It's not that their questions are bad or anything like that. They're more reflective. A lot of times I realize how shallow my thinking is when I get around those kind of people. I'm of the simple faith kind, right? But there's two kinds of people. Mary was one type of believer. The shepherds were another type. They, the shepherds, man, they heard it. They did a real quick investigation in Bethlehem. In a matter of hours, they believed it. Most likely, they were saved right there. But that, That's the pattern of the gospel, isn't it? Isn't that the pattern of the gospel? First, the shepherds had to hear the gospel. If, if God had not revealed it to them, they would never have believed at all. The gospel has to be heard before one can respond. The gospel has to be proclaimed before people can hear and believe. Faith comes by hearing the word. But once they heard it, the shepherds still had to respond in faith, which they did without delay. They left their flocks to go and see Jesus. I'm sure they left them, obviously, with someone. Someone who didn't see, right? The, 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 the display, but they went to Bethlehem so they could see Jesus. And once they saw and believed, they, you know what they did? They became the first evangelists, sharing the good news to anyone who listened. They took the same gospel they'd been given by the angel, and they started giving it to others. And that's how uh, Jesus saved sinners. You take the gospel you heard, and you share it with other people. You don't need a six-week course. You don't need a year of Bible college. You take what you heard, you share it with others. Uh, the, 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 the thing that God keeps bringing back to my mind is the strength-weakness paradigm. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Now, we should study as much as we can, but let's be honest. We're weak vessels, aren't we? And anything that goes on that, that's positive in the kingdom is because God's power was behind it. And so his strength is made uh, perfect in our weakness. And so what we do is we show the gospel by the love shown in our lives, by the words of our witness. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as the shepherds did. And guess what happens? When we do this, other people hear God's word and get saved by the same good news that saved us. And so salvation comes by hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, who was born in a manger to become a man, who died on the cross to pay for our sins, who was raised from the dead to give us eternal life. That's it. That's all you need. Isn't it? That's the gospel message. And that's how the gospel, 2,000 years, people have been trying to stamp out the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's the Paul said it's the what? It's the power of God. And no puny human beings are going to be able to stamp out the power of God, are they? Not at all. That's how the gospel goes forward. And all of this, and this is where we wrap up, and all of this is for the glory of God. 
The story of the shepherds end with a great and glorious joy as the angel promised. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And so all of this is done. Your salvation is done, not for your personal benefit. That's a side. Your salvation is ultimately for the glory of God. Isn't that wonderful? You have a purpose in your life. And your purpose is every second of your life to give praise and glory to the God of the universe. There's no greater purpose than that, is there? Literally none. You, you, can, you can have any kind of occupation and still have the most important calling in the universe. These shepherds were imitating the angels by glorifying God in the highest and praising Him for peace on earth. And this is what the gospel does. It brings us to faith in Jesus Christ. And this, in turn, leads to witness and worship. First we come and see. Then we know for sure. Then we go and tell, glorifying and praising God along the way. What is the gospel doing in your life? What is the gospel doing in your life? Are you sharing your faith? Are you spreading the good news about Jesus Christ? Are you praising God and glorifying Him for the gift of salvation? If you have come to Christ, you must be doing these things because every Christian does. It's in our nature as Christians. It's woven into the fabric of our being. But there may be some here today who are still wondering about Jesus, pondering His gospel in your heart. If so, then my words to you is, God is calling you to believe the angels and to follow the shepherds to Jesus. And He will be born in your heart by faith. And then you too can praise and glorify and honor Him. Lord, we thank You for the gospel message. So simple and yet profound. So quick and yet so powerful. So simple and yet so glorious. We thank you that we had a, a we have a Savior who condescended to the form of a human being, born in a manger, a slave of all. I pray, Lord, that we will live to your praise and to your glory every second of our life. And I pray even right now that you will be laying people on our hearts to go share this gospel, this glorious gospel with. In his name we pray. Amen.